All right. Anybody got anything on their their minds, on their hearts? I do. You do? Hallelujah. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, um, so I'll set it up this way. Uh, I, have, I have a degree in accounting. <laughs> Poor thing. I know. <laughs> and uh, I took, uh, golly, I don't have any hours of accounting I took to get the degree. And I was about to sit for the CPA exam, but I said, you know, I really don't want to do this. But I got really good grades in accounting. And I feel like I don't really even understand accounting. I went through all the classes and I did very well on all the tests, but I really don't even understand the concepts that much. If I had to explain accounting, I'd probably send somebody to a YouTube video. <laughs> and there's just some fundamental things about accounting that just don't jive with me. I could go through the motions, I could make things balance, I could tell you what the gap principles are, I could memorize things, I could repeat them, and I could pass your test. But I, even though you have a degree in accounting, and probably no lingo that the average person doesn't know, I really don't get it. And I say that to say this. It's only very recently that I realized that the entire focus of the gospel is, is the Father God. The only reason Jesus came here was to make us know the Father. He actually didn't come here to make us know Him. That's right. <laughs> he, he came to to introduce the Father to us so we could know the Father as He truly is, so that our eyes would be open to His love and we could go to Him and have what He has for us. And so He could have what He wanted for Himself. And I, I went through all the Church 101, 102. I got a degree in churchianity, but I never even understood this is all about the Father who wanted a bunch of kids. And we're his kids. And he came to rescue us through the Son from death so we could have life. Hmm. <laughs> does that make sense? That yeah. pretty well yeah. does it. Yeah. Uh, it's it was, and as I look back over my uh, misconception, misunderstanding, and distrust of the Father, talking about the Father God, I realize a lot of that stems from not just the fact of the effect of death on the human heart and religious teaching that further confuses it never brings a person out of darkness into light but my own biological father i did i did not have a satisfying relationship with him and it, it dawned on me that maybe i never knew him either mm. maybe i've been deceived about my own bio biological father's love for me. Hmm. Maybe what was in my father's heart was always good for me. And just like my heavenly father, I never knew it. And you can go through uh, life thinking, well, he provided a home for me and clothing and education. None of that makes you feel love. That's right. <laughs> It just makes you feel better than you would without it. That's right. <laughs> but it doesn't make you feel loved. That's right. And so uh, having received a revelation of my need for God in 1993, here we are in 2022. 20, you got that right, accounted. <laughs> I'm realizing something so basic it's almost like 
there was a horse in this room, but you never noticed the horse. Right. And then when you notice the horse, now you're smelling the horse. And now you're you're petting the horse and, and now you're riding the horse. And it's like the horse has been here all along. And that's what it's like uh, for me lately. It's like father has been there all along. And all along he wanted me to know he wanted me and us to know him as father. And and all this other stuff about this book in the Old Testament means that and the Kings and the Psalms and the, that's a bunch of academic stuff uh, if, if you don't understand the Father's love for you. If you don't know that the Father has always been your Father and he's always approved of you and you never had to do anything to please him because he he, he was pleased with you before, while you were a twinkle in his eye, he, he was pleased with you. If you don't know that, you won't understand squat about the gospel. But I mean squat, I don't mean any nothing. I just mean you won't know you won't have the key that unlocks the fear in your heart. You won't have the antidote to the thing that has poisoned you. You won't have the light that displaces the darkness. So I'm, I'm particularly thankful for Greg harping on the Father, the Father, the Father, just last message especially, the Father. Maybe it's been all along, but it's only recently that I'm starting to see, man, this really is all about the Father. Mm. And I don't mean Father, just somebody I came from, but Father, in the sense that everything I need, this person is providing to me. Everything that I worry about is based on the lie that the Father isn't taking care of all those things. Mm. Uh, everything that he wants me to enjoy, he wants me to enjoy with him. Actually, I'm not sure he wants me to enjoy anything apart from him. <laughs> it's not like, son, just go on your way and enjoy your life. That's not the father. No, no. The father is, you and I are one, and we're going to enjoy this life together. He's jealous. Over you with the godly jealousy. Well, that... That was a beautiful way to start all this, and there's so much you could say about what you just said. Um, but Paul says in Romans, I think it's either 3 or, or maybe chapter 4, maybe I'm getting the chapter wrong. He says it's through Jesus that you do believe in God. And so the point of Jesus coming was to manifest everlasting Father in our midst, and that in manifesting everlasting Father, that we would find faith in our heart towards Him, right? Meaning that we're sitting in the place where we're desiring for our life to be cared for. We're desiring to have life. We're desiring for our life to be cared for. We're desiring to experience life. And um, it's through Jesus manifesting the Father as the one who serves with life that we find our faith being towards him, um, meaning that we believe this guy's going to serve us with the life we desire. And um, that's the, the the powerful part of the gospel. Maurice, you... A couple of weeks ago, you you talked about the promise of the Spirit. Was uh, do you want to go into that? You want to share some thoughts about that? Well, I posted something on it, and uh, it's 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 interesting that uh, you know when we, when you consider what the Spirit of God is, we think of it as we've been taught that it's the gift giver, it's a comforter, it's the bringer of truth and that is all true that it, it is those things it it does provide those things to you 
but there it's uh it, it's a curious thing that it is somehow through the indwelling life that is found in Christ whereby we become partakers of the father the father's life and when that life comes to us it provides us so many things including gifts uh you know revelation understanding truth comfort all of those things are found in the spirit but the spirit is not just those things it's actually our becoming one with our father who is in heaven and and people that don't know uh maybe are, are not clear on their understanding it's kind of like you were saying you know you knew accounting but you really didn't understand accounting matter of fact in sports it's kind of like that plenty of people can perform the function of sports but it's like only when you like find yourself in that sport and you're just functioning in that sport that's when you really know the sport and music it's a similar way well there's a lot of people who know the Lord but and have believed on him unto unto salvation and know the Lord they actually know the Lord because they are possessors of that spirit but the world and religion comes in and so blinds them to the reality of what 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 it's all actually pointing to that they are not experiencing that reality so it's not that they don't know the Lord but they don't know the Lord and they're not experiencing him the way he was meant to be experienced and but but to understand that simple reality that to possess the spirit that is of God is to possess the father to to have and experience the father and you start considering your life that way knowing that you are one with him and he's one with you and that he loved you and through his son provided for you all of these things it's just it, it completely reforms your understanding of what this thing is all about that you can walk every day of your life with your father is in who, who is in heaven who has nothing but good for you and and it doesn't matter whether like Putin is God and he's going to take over try to take over Israel and uh, it, it it doesn't matter about that when you know that you are one with your father who is in heaven and who controls everything that that exists it's all going to end up toward his good purpose for you and for the children of God and uh uh, that's a good father to have. In, in, indeed. And so I, I like what he said there, that the, the, the promise is the promise of the father. Yeah. Not that the father promised you something, yeah. although you could characterize it that way. But the, the point, Maurice, and the reason why I asked him that is because it's that the father promised himself. That's right. That's the promise. That's right. That he promised himself. Yes. And so sometimes we go get the promise of the Spirit and lose sight of, of what that's talking about. It becomes a distant thing. But the Spirit didn't come to speak of himself. And so the promise of the Spirit is the Father promising himself to you. That's the actual promise from the beginning. That the Father has come and looked at you, seen himself in your face, judged you worthy of all that he is and all that he has in himself, 
And he has promised you that he will pour himself out for you. He has promised all of himself to you. That's the promise, right? All that I am, all that I have in myself, I promised it to you. And the spirit is the confirmation of that promise. It's like the, the account of the prodigal son, right? Where the, the older son becomes upset, right? I've done all these things right. I've done everything you wanted me to do. And you did not so much as once give me a goat to celebrate with my friends. And what, is, what does the father say? It's all yours. It's all, all that I have has always been yours. And, and so the looking at the promise of the Spirit, I think there's more intimacy in realizing it's actually the, the promise of the Father. Right. And yes, the Father has promised us something, but it's more accurately the Father has promised himself to you yes. and all that he is and all that he has in himself. And I love that post that you made, and I really loved the caption this guy put on it. So I'm glad we brought it up. But you could find the post that Maurice uh, made about this. And then this guy on Facebook shared it, and at the top of it, he captioned, they said, show us the Father. So Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I thought that was a very uh, powerful way to interpret that, right? In light of what Marie said, you can go and find it on his Facebook page and read it. And I thought it was very, this guy obviously understood what you were saying. Absolutely. And I love the understanding he brought to it, right? Show us the Father and that will suffice. And Jesus, well, it's better for me that I go away then. And I'll send you another, even the comforter. He will show you the Father, right? He will manifest the Father to you. Glory to God. Anybody got any thoughts about any of that or or anything you want to add on to that? Well, going back to what Thomas was talking about, um, I have a degree in accounting. Cool guy. And he understands it. We'll start. We'll get a support group on. <laughs> this is kind of an AA. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, I've been uh, I've been at it for wow, close to fifty years. Um, and I can I can boil it down, Thomas, if this helps. Uh, debits on the left, credit on the right. And I think Marie will back me up on it. Um, but I think the point is. <laughs> The gospel has been made complicated uh, in my early church life. And if I can say one thing about being here, how long? Ten years? How long we've been here? How long we've been here? <laughs> Ten years? Ten years. Church has been here? Ten years. Yeah. March. You guys came walking in in March. Mm-hmm. Greg has brought the gospel down to its simplest terms. God loves us. He's never been angry with us. And he wants to spend eternity with us. And that's all you really need to know about the gospel. It's a very simple thing. It's yeah. like the horse in the room. Unlike accounting. But yeah, accounting's a little more complicated. But uh, no, like I said, uh, before we got here, just the gospel seemed so complicated. Like we had we had to work the God. Mm-hmm. But like I said, you pretty much stripped it down to what it really is all about. God loves us. Yeah. And he's never been angry with us. Yeah. And it, it, it simplifies the problem too. Right. You see, the problem is we didn't know God as father. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we were perishing because there's only one that has the kind of life that doesn't that can't perish. That's incorruptible. And we didn't know him as father. So we were perishing. We were in corruption. Right. Uh, we were dead in our sin, trying to give ourselves life because we didn't know him as father. 
And so it simplifies what the problem is. You don't have to get into all this complicated language about some fictitious sin nature. What I find is that the human intellect, if it doesn't understand what something is about, will complicate it with explanation. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it thinks that it's bringing itself to understanding by creating complex uh, explanation. So we never understood the simplicity of uh, God is our father and we didn't know him as father and that's why we were dying. Right? We didn't understand the simplicity of that, so we come with all these complex explanations about sin nature and all these different things to try to convolute the issue. It's a real simple issue. Adam no longer knew God as Father after he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. His understanding about God and himself was darkened by the sin and death he saw all around him. Right? That clouded his vision. He could no longer see God was with him to be the father that he needed, and he thought that he had to father his own life. And so he went about trying to gather life to himself, right? He went about using his own ability. That caused death to reign. Jim. I took accounting in college. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing I remember is that it was called the principles of accounting. And I think that in Christianity, what we've heard for all of my life is the principles of 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 God, the principle of the Bible, the principles of living the Christian life, and the how-tos. And it has nothing to do with all that. I can't <laughs> Thomas by discovering the principles of Thomas. I know him because I have a relationship with him. Mm. And that relationship with the Father, I'm <clears throat> I'm seeing in my life and other people's lives that I meet with it, there is this persuasion that occurs that comes from him that we know really nothing about beyond our understanding. But it's a wonderful, intimate, you know, very pleasing uh, thing to have a relationship with the Father like that. Amen. And I'm with Thomas. I don't think I ever knew my dad. You know, I'm sure that he was had good intentions, and I'm sure they loved him. But uh, why sure God? And so many people have such a bad concept of God because of their relationship with their father, mm-hmm. earthly father. Anyway, no principles. No, and it's, it's judging our earthly fathers by the knowledge of good and evil. Mm, yeah, and then also judging our Heavenly Father by the knowledge of good and evil, which is a, a gigantic problem. Maurice. I was just going to say, I just picked this up in 2 Corinthians. It says, but I fear, at least any, by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through subtlety, that you too, your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So you got to ask yourself, how was Eve subtly uh, beguiled by the serpent, and that is that through your knowledge, you can become like God, and that is that that subtle lie that actually we find so inherent within uh, every religion that exists that that somehow or another we can attain God likeness through our knowledge of good and evil. And that's how she was subtly deceived from the simplicity that is in Christ. But when you look at all of the patriarchs, all of them, the relationship that they had through 
their understanding of God is good toward them, that, that revelation, that thing that was revealed to them caused them to actually have relationship with God. And God did just wondrous things in their lives and, and caused them to, to just flourish in life, even under the most difficult of circumstances. Because, not because they knew the details about the law, about God, but because they had this relationship mm. that knowing that God was good toward them. And that is meant to point us to Christ in, in, in his gospel that in the same way revealed the Father to us at the cross. Yeah, yeah they saw that God's eyes were full of mercy yes. and grace, yeah. right? And so yeah. they were strengthened by that faith. Yes. Right? And like Thomas said a bunch of mouthfuls, but he also mentioned in there about judgments that he had about our Heavenly Father, but also judgments he had about his earthly father. Right? And where did these judgments come from? Right? Jesus, one of the things Jesus said was that for judgment, he came into the earth. And what we don't realize is that there was a judgment about God that's, that was in the earth from the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil issued a judgment in the earth about God. And we were all living by that judgment as if it was true. And we were relating to our Heavenly Father by the judgment that the knowledge of good and evil gave. Right? Which is that if God really was good, if God really did love you, if he really was your father, and you really were his child, then how come there's death in the earth? Right? And that same judgment, that same question, what it did was it painted an image of God in the earth that said God is not as he ought to be, as the one that will care for your life. Look at the death in the earth. That's the evidence that he's not with you to be the father that you need. That's the evidence that he doesn't think of you as his child. That's the evidence that he is not with you to serve you with life. And so we were all living by this negative judgment about the father. We weren't knowing him as father. We were knowing him as something else. We saw he was there. We called him creator, right? Oh yeah, he created everything. And we, we knew him more as creator and not in the sense of, of father or life giver or life server. And so we were busy relating to this guy that we say created us, but we were not intimate with the love or the passion or the mercy or the, the joy that he felt in his heart towards us. That's not what we were relating to. And so Jesus says, for judgment he came into the earth. And the judgment that he's talking about is he came to produce a different word about God as father in the earth. That's the whole reason why he came. He came to issue in the earth a word or a judgment about God as father. And that's what he was walking around in the earth doing all of the time, right? I know you guys say this, but I say this. You guys say God's the one that condemns sinners to death. But I say God's the justifier of the ungodly. And then he's asked God justifying the ungodly. He's issuing a judgment. You say that this guy's born blind because of his sin and God is against him. But I say to you that God is not the one that makes people blind, but God's the one who heals people's blindness. For judgment, I've come into the earth. You guys say that God's the punisher. I'm here to tell you that God's the healer. For judgment, I've come into the earth. The judgment is he came to issue a decree about God as Abba. So that we could actually see God for who and what he is and what's in his heart. Because what we did is we looked at the death in the world and we judged his heart for us by the death we saw. And we came up with a whole slew of conclusions 
about his heart towards us and what he feels towards us and the thoughts that he has of us based on the death we saw. And to use Thomas's example with his own father, we've all done that with our earthly fathers too. We've looked at circumstances. We've looked at situations. We might even look at how they behave and then we've made judgments about what's in their heart towards us based on those things. And I promise you, when you make judgments about what's in people's hearts based on external things like that, you ain't never coming with the right conclusion. You're coming with the wrong conclusion because your judgment is born from the knowledge of good and evil. Where you're building all your thought processes based on what you've judged to be right and what you've judged to be wrong. And then if you try to know people based on the knowledge of good and evil, you ain't never going to know them. You ain't never going to know yourself. You ain't never going to know them. And it's the same way with God. We built our understanding about God based on what we saw was good and what we saw was bad. And then we built him in an image after sin and death. We used the sin and death that Adam brought into the earth to build the image of God. And then we wondered why we could never worship the God that we built using sin and death as the tools. The reason why is because sin and death could never paint God in the image of everlasting father. It could never paint God in the image of a guy that would rather die himself than let you die. Do you know who it is that lays down their life for another? A father. It's the father that will lay down their life for somebody else. It's a father that will do that. Well, what did God come into the earth and do? He came and laid down his life for ours. And he came to do that so that we could begin to know him according to what was in his heart instead of knowing him according to the image that sin and death painted him in. Because you can't believe in the God that sin and death painted. It's impossible for your heart to rest in that God. It's, you're never going to get there. If you ever wondered why you struggle to trust God, it's not because you're a bad boy or a bad girl. It's because there's some part of your knowing about God that isn't consistent with everlasting Father. Right. And so your heart is not designed to be able to rest in anything other than everlasting Father. And so it's not some shameful mark against your life if you're struggling to trust God in an area. What it means is you need a revelation of everlasting Father in that area. And so don't let your prayer be about your unbelief or what you think you struggle with, but rather let your prayer be, Father, I know that everything you did was so I could know you. I know everything you did is so I could see you clearly. You've given me your spirit. You sent your son to reveal yourself. I desire to know you in my heart as everlasting Father. And that will start to heal your heart. But one of the big things that will happen when you start to live by the, the decree that Jesus issued about the Father is it will also unwind you from all the unrighteous judgments you've made about all the people in your life. Which is one of the things Thomas alluded to, which is a powerful thing. Guys, I don't know if you realize it, but we are walking judgment makers of people. <laughs> and more specifically, the people in our lives. And I promise you, because Adam brought the knowledge of good and evil in the earth, Probably most of your conclusions about the people in your life have all been built upon the knowledge of good and evil, right? You got a knowledge of what is good and just and what is evil and unjust. And you probably built your judgments about the people in your life around that concept. And I promise you, if you built your judgments about the inner workings of their heart based on the knowledge of good and evil, your judgment of those people is not true. 
the, the, the judgment that pain was present should not be confused with you judging their heart by the pain that was present. And that's what we get right to do. And the devil knows that. That's what he tries to use against us. I say this all the time, but the devil tries to plant lies in our hearts in traumatic moments when pain is elevated. That's when he comes with the judgment because the judgments that come from the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge that death is evil. Well, why is it here then? What does it mean? What does it mean about me? What does it mean about them? And so the devil is always there trying to get us to create an unrighteous judgment about people and about God based on our circumstances around us. And so God said, we're going to give them another metric by which they're going to judge our hearts for them by. And the metric we're going to give them is the resurrection. That's the manifestation of everlasting father. Jesus prayed, glorify me that it would glorify you. Right? He's talking about the resurrection. What he's saying is, these people are not knowing you as Father. I'm a human. Glorify me, and that will manifest everlasting Father in the earth. And the people that were dwelling in darkness will see a great light. The great light is the love that they'll see is in God's heart for them. When they see the care that God, or the thought that God took to care for their life, when he raised Jesus from the dead. We weren't even thinking about that kind of a care. Remember, as we started this out with Maurice saying, it's that the Father promised himself. Listen, we were not thinking that God was going to give us all of himself, that we're going to inherit the fullness of the Godhead inside of us bodily. We couldn't even get there. We just want to have a nice crop every year. We just want to have a nice car that works every year. We just want to make sure we can go to the grocery store and get our favorite tea. Right? We're busy thinking about having a job or having the kind of genes we like. We're busy thinking about trying to find a spouse or getting our kids to act right. God's busy thinking about, I want to fill these people with all that I am and all that I have in myself. Now listen, that's the care that God has always had in his heart towards us. And we see it manifested in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and when you start to see, oh my goodness, look at the thought this guy's taking to care for me. You, you, you start, you begin to know God as Father. What, what happens is your mind becomes filled with the thought he took to care for your life. Simultaneously, what begins to happen is you stop taking thought to care for your own life because you, you feel so cared for. It's a beautiful thing when you're no longer taking thought to care for your own life, right? And I don't mean like you need to figure out how to do that. It happens naturally as you see God as Father more and more. Did you want to jump in there? Yeah. Uh, so when you know this, good news. <laughs> not uh, When I say good news, something pops into everybody's head. But I'm talking about the good news we're talking about. The good news of the Father towards you. When you know that, it's like before, I didn't know what to tell people. I told them what I was taught to say. And I, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, I only knew the tail of the elephant, so I talked about the tail of the elephant. <laughs> or I only knew the tusk, so I talked about the tusk. Damn, I see a whole damn elephant right now. <laughs> and there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. And you can't get to the end of describing this thing. But I, I, I know what to say now. And I know what's eating people. I know I know what's eating people up. It's 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 what's been eating all of us up. But I see it clearly now. 
And uh, I've been waiting for this. Uh, I've deliberately not preached because I wasn't convinced of what I would say. I'm convinced now. I don't have to prepare anything. I don't have to memorize anything. That's right. What comes out of my mouth is going to be life. Amen. Because what comes out of my mouth is coming out of God's mouth. I'm not saying I'm God. I'm saying that God and I are one. Yes. And it's a wonderful thing when you can see what is hurting a person and you can see what will help them. And it's really, in my mind, that simple. And it is not our burden to persuade anybody. The wonderful thing is that our Father is taking that burden on himself, and he has the ability to persuade people. <laughs> so it's almost like, I, I really want you to know my wife. She's a wonderful person. Let me introduce you to her. Now, here's what I see what's happening in the person's heart that I would talk to. That's too good to be true. They, they have built up such a, uh, a coping mechanism in themselves to get by and through this crappy world that they can't even entertain the possibility of this being true. Because for them to do that would be to completely short circuit the entire worldview. Right. They have a view about what this world is about and how they're going to survive in it. And then you come along and say something that is com so completely contrary to what they believe, that they can't even entertain the possibility that they could be wrong. But the wonderful thing about that is they are wrong, <laughs> and God does love them, and he will reach them with the truth. And so it, it, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in a good spot. I'm in a good spot because I, I can see. I can see. And you know, when just a little tidbit of truth goes forth, it has an ability to actually touch the hearts of people that hear it. <laughs> and that tidbit of truth even can spring forth with life. Mm -hmm. But when you are preaching the letter and not the spirit, it just reinforces what they're already believing. But when a spirit is, is, is the spirit of the truth is communicated to people, that spirit is capable of producing. That's why, you know, when the scriptures say that my word doesn't go forth without. Another producing. way of putting it is the truth does its own work. Yes, that's right. Every part of God contains all of God. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. God doesn't operate as the hand or the foot. He's the whole. Yeah. Yeah, the message becomes much simpler and and focused and 
it's like what the scriptures talk about being a preacher of righteousness. I mean, you could easily just say to be a preacher of the Father is what a preacher of righteousness is, right? But if you're busy with the letter, you, you're, you'll read the term preacher of righteousness, and you think that means that you're a preacher telling people how they better clean up their act so God will heal the land. Right. <laughs> That's not being a preacher of righteousness. <laughs> That's not being a preacher of righteousness, right? Uh, that would actually look more like being a preacher of righteousness in that situation would, would actually look more like God has done something to heal the land. Right, and then you declaring what God did to heal the land in Jesus, and what that would do is it would declare God as the Father that this earth needs, right, and that He has done something to glorify this creation with His life and to completely consume death. That's what it would look like preaching God at, at pre, being a preacher of righteousness in that situation. But to be a preacher of the Father in the, in the context of the Scriptures. I think it's Psalm 40 that talks about the preacher of righteousness. It says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And it's describing uh, Jesus, really. Jesus is the preacher of righteousness. And he's the one that the Psalm 40, I think, is, I think it's Psalm 40, they're prophesying of. The guy's talking about God picking him up out of the miry clay. You know what the miry clay is? The grave. Dirt. And the guy talks about how they'll stand in the midst of the great congregation. And he'll declare the righteousness of God. I mean, the psalmist is talking about the resurrection there. And he's talking about in me being raised up out of the grave and being glorified with the life of God in the midst of the great congregation. That will declare God's righteousness to all people, right? And the reason why it declares it to all people, because like Thomas said, I know what hurts you. It's like Brennan Manning told that example where he said, a Hasidic rabbi learned the meaning of love from two drunkards in a bar. When the one drunkard looked over to the other one and said, I love you, man. And the one said back to him, if you love me, tell me what hurts me. And the guy said, how do I, what are you talking about? And he said, how can you say you love me if you don't know what hurts me? You see, and there's an inherent feeling of love that you feel when the other person is intimately acquainted with what hurts you because it means they care. In fact, the only reason why someone could be intimately acquainted with what hurts you is if it bothers them that you're hurting. And you see, and the powerful thing about the gospel being simplified is the thing that's hurting everybody is death, the tribulation that's in the earth, the corruption that's in the earth, the perishable life that's in the earth. That's what's hurting everybody. And to come and declare Father is to come and declare that God has heard our cries, that God is not indifferent to the suffering we've experienced at the hands of death, that he, he's intimately acquainted with that pain, and he's done something to conquer death in the flesh or in the body of Jesus' resurrection. And so when you understand what's hurting somebody, it's some effect of death or some effect of lack, and then you can come with. God also cares. He's not indifferent. He weeps with you. He's wept with you. Well, how do you know that? Well, because I see that he come and destroyed the death that's been tormenting you in the body of Jesus' resurrection. All of a sudden, the resurrection makes perfect sense to them because that guy was dead, and now he's dead no more. And so, oh, okay, so that God did that to heal me from the torment I'm experiencing at the hands of all this death. Oh, so when my father, that was death. Oh, when, they, when my sister died, that was death. And you start to see the picture of God clearly with you as father. 
Raising Jesus up out of the miry clay. That's the preacher of righteousness. You're preaching about the righteousness of God toward people's lives. And his righteousness towards your life is on display in what he did to consume death in the resurrection of Jesus. And when you can preach that message that simply, people start to know God as Father. You ain't got to get all into all the details. Do you know why we got to get into all the details? Because we've all been taught PhDs in churchianity. That's why we need all the details. Because all of our thoughts about God have been grossly complicated. Right? We've had this great movement in the modern day church of you got to be in the word you got to know the word you got to study the word you got to memorize the word the blessing is in the word the word the word the word the word and then, and then none of those people ever connected jesus to be in the word yeah they never tell you that that jesus is the word right so we didn't spend all of our time being intimate with jesus and reading the scriptures through the knowledge that he is the word we were intimate with the scriptures from the perspective of our great intellects and the letter. And so then we come with all these complications and all of our thoughts about God, instead of being simplified, which is what Jesus came to do, he saw that we're all sitting around a table like this. He saw we all had a view and opinion about God and all of our views and opinions about God came from the death we saw and the death we experienced. And he came to decide the matter once and for all and to make it real simple. Your problem is death. Well, from the beginning, God promised you all of himself. Well, the death that's in the earth cannot make void God's promise to you that he will give you all of himself. Do you know why? Because God has something in himself that overcomes death. So not even death can get in the way of him giving you all of himself. Death can't stop it. And so that's the simplicity of, of the gospel. And then we've complicated it with all these external things. And now we're trying to unwind all this complication. And do you know why all the winding is? The unwinding is just so we could get to the place where we see God as Father. And all the unwinding is to move away all the stuff that we've been taught in church that actually prevents us from trusting God with our lives. Right? And, and for those who... Uh, like if I was hearing what I just said and I didn't know it already... I'd be thinking, man, how do you figure that out? Something like that. Or I wish I wish that would happen to me because I don't know about you guys, but I listen to Greg preach and I think, I don't know that what he's saying. I don't, I don't, I don't, I hear it. I can maybe repeat it, but I really don't understand it. Just be encouraged that uh, this is something that happens to you. And, it, and it's God's desire for it to happen to you. So just chill and God's going to bring it in you and you don't have to work for it. It's not like you have to do something to deserve it. Uh, you don't have to tithe or pray or fast or do anything. This is something that is like a seed that's planted that starts to grow. And like the man fell asleep and woke up and there was a crop there this morning. I wasn't there yesterday. And he said, well, how the heck that happen? <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. All you do is make yourself available to keep hearing the faith, which the faith is full of the Father, right? And you could hear that a number of different ways. And hopefully Thomas won't mind me sharing this. If you, if you do, then, man, you'll just have to be upset with me for a little I while. I trust you. Um, but even just his description of the Father, and this goes along with his example of the seed that is going forth, and it, it won't return unto you void. And Thomas, I mean, he alluded to thoughts that he's had about his Father his own father, judgments that he may be concluded about him. 
Well, man, I've spent years with Thomas trying to unwind some of those things, right, with his dad. And he was always polite about it, but he i got to be honest, he didn't want to hear what I had to say. And it wasn't in a rude way, but you could just see that it was just words to him. He could agree intellectually, but his heart hadn't grasped onto it. Well, it's not like I've kept on with him about his father. But you know what? Thomas has continued to hear the gospel. He's continued to talk to his heavenly father. And now today he comes in here and says, maybe I judged a bunch of things about my earthly father that weren't true. Now, I didn't force that on him. And honestly, I've given up. I had mentioned his earthly father for years now. For years now. But as you could see, that God had put a seed in him, and God was working that seed in him. And that seed was producing fruit. And it didn't require Thomas to intellectually agree with everything that I said for God to keep working what he was working. If that makes any sense. Did that make sense? I, I, to me? To you? Well, absolutely. The way I said yeah. that, would you agree with that characterization? Absolutely. And, and, and as with God, uh, when you realize that you have misjudged God, the next realization is you've misjudged yourself. Hmm. Because we all have a judgment about ourselves. Sure. I fall short. I don't measure up. I'm a disappointment. I'm a this, I'm a this, I'm a that. All those judgments are, 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 are founded in, uh, in death. And so when you see God, you actually see yourself as God sees you, which is a pretty damn good view. And when you think about it, you know, when you see seeing God the correct way, you begin seeing everybody else, not just your own that's, father. That's what but you follows. see everybody. That, and, and then you have this effortless experience of mercy in your heart towards people who used to piss you off. Mm. <laughs> Meanwhile, the, the, the whole earth is saying in psychology, you are a product of your parents. And we, yeah, you know, my, my parents were mean. They weren't loving. Yeah, and I would I would trump that by saying I'm a product of my father. Yes, right, right. My oh, heavenly yesterday, father. Yep. Yesterday, uh, we took the puppies. Joe ran in the store, returned something, and the three puppies were sitting in my lap, looking out the window, hanging over the edge. And a lady came by, an older lady, and she goes, she started shaking. She goes, Oh my God, they're beautiful. You know, and I just felt compelled to grab her hand. And she said, I'm alone. I need, I need a, I almost gave her the puppy. <laughs> yeah, you might lose the bike. More than a puppy. Um, she said, I, my two sons have died and my other son um, has was nothing to do with me. And. I'm, I'm going to sell this bracelet. She had a diamond bracelet. I'm going to sell this bracelet so I can build a shed because I my shed fell down. And um, use the other part to buy a puppy. But she, she asked what kind they were, and I said, Cabochon. And she went, oh, they're so expensive. I said, well, but wait. My wife and I bought this dog from an Amish couple. They had four kids. They couldn't have been older than 22, a little farm. We bought it for $600. Now the other one was two thousand. They are expensive, but these these Amish couples sell. So I took her name and her phone number, and I, I can't wait to invite her over. And man, look, gives me bumps. You know, and I just knew it was my dad. And I thought, look, you know, and she's living in fear and loneliness and lack, and that's the same thing most of the world that 
church attendance has dropped all over the world because the promise of joy, abundant life, uh-uh, I ain't getting it. I'm getting labor and toiling. I'm not getting that life that I desire. My heart wants to know God. We all want to know God. It was such a beautiful, beautiful moment, and I, I can't wait to uh, to see what happens. I was with a friend this week, um, and we were having lunch, um, and she's struggling right now. She's getting ready to have, she has, she has cancer, and she's getting ready to have surgery this week. And um, it was one of these long, drawn-out lunches, and I kept asking questions, and she's giving me answers to, you know, like like the the medical answers and the blah, blah, blah. And we're going through this whole thing. And I'm trying to get to the heart of the matter because I, I know in my heart of hearts that she's got to be struggling. She's got to be struggling with this. And, and I know she has no mother in her life. And I know her father's really not in her life, but he is in her life, you know, not in, not in any way that we would ever say he's been a father to her. And I'm with her and we come into an end of our lunch and I'm like, Still haven't gotten where I want to get with her. She's still not opening up and this isn't happening. And so we move from the table to the bar area of this restaurant and we're sitting and we're talking and we're talking about old times and this and that. And I'm still asking questions and I'm thinking in my heart, I'm just like, Lord, come on. Why is she not just, she's the type of person that she's always, she's not had the mother. She's not had the father. She has been the rock in her family. She's always had to be the rock. She had to be the rock with her husband, with her kids. She had to do everything. She had to be the provider. The weight of the world has been on this girl's shoulders her entire life. And there's these couples sitting at some tables, like over there in the corner, and we're over here. And, um, and we're just talking, and I just got this going through my head. I'm like, time. I know time's getting short. She's getting ready to leave. And I just want to, Lord, I'm like, in my heart, I'm like, Lord. Well, I see this lady, this couple gets up from the corner over there, and they're going, and they're walking out. And as they're walking out, the lady turns around and stops and she tells her husband, and I'm watching this, and she tells her husband, no, no, no. And she comes over to us. She puts her arms around us. We don't know this lady. This lady doesn't know us. She never heard a word we're saying. She puts her arms around us and she says, she looks at my friend and she says, honey, she said, breast cancer is a horrible disease and it is trying and it wants to kill you. But God, your father, oh God, she said, your heavenly father has sent an angel. And this is your angel right here. And she has been trying to get to the heart of this all day with you. But you're not hearing what she's saying. And the Lord wants you to know, your heavenly father wants you to know that she is trying to tell you how much he loves you. Oh my God. And you are not alone. You will never be alone. And he's going to be right there with you Wednesday on that surgery. And she starts losing it. And I'm losing it. And this lady <laughs> goes, honey, I'm just telling you, she's here. And she's telling you your father's love. And she said, I hope this is okay. And she turned around and walked off. <laughs> and my friend friends are holding me. And she's bawling on my shoulder. And I'm bawling on hers. And she's like, I'm so tired. I'm so worn out. And I've been so scared, and I just need, I needed to hear that. And it was just like, I mean, people in the area looking at us like, and I mean, I, I just, I'm shaking and trembling. I mean, we ended up leaving, and she grabs a hold of me, and she's telling me how much she loves me, and I'm telling her how much I love her, and we get in the car, and we both bawling like babies, and I couldn't even call him. I called you, by the way, and you didn't answer the phone. <laughs> I, 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 was really, I was really upset about that, because I wanted to share this. I am crying the whole way home, and I'm going home to him, and I walk in the door, and he goes, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, let me tell you. But I mean... 
she just she and her husband i look at her husband and he's like you know she's got to do what she's got to do and i'm like thank you thank you but it was um she needs all the walls to come down and be vulnerable because she's she's to use the theological term taken on the orphan yeah the spirit of the exactly orphan because exactly. of the hardship she's in and that's all i felt like the lord kept wanting to say to her is she needed to hear and that's what i was going to say to her your father loves you he's never going to leave you. he's going to be right there with you he's got this and the lady said those exact words he has this and those were the exact the words that was coming out of her mouth was word for word what i was going to wanting to say to her all day but more than likely she wouldn't have heard it if you had said it exactly because she knows what you would say exactly but she might hear what you have to say now because that woman came and said let me tell you that, that this woman here has it, it, it's got what you need it was undoing right? that's a perfect undoing. example of how god will carry the burden of that's right. yep yeah and it's also a perfect gift of the spirit in operation right to the father right there. and it's a perfect example of, of god meeting whatever human wherever they're at in their relationship <clears throat> with god she maybe couldn't hear all the other stuff right mm -hmm. and so he comes with this gift of the spirit to get to her so she doesn't feel alone in that moment right what's the matt do you remember the verse that you quoted in the first corinthians uh gifts oh and uh, context about god being with uh, yeah chapter 14 it talks about how if if somebody comes into your midst and and all prophesy exposing the 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 depths of their hearts says they'll fall down and worship God and and confess that of surety God is in your midst because that's what the gifts of the spirit are are intended to point to is is the fact that you have a father I mean so many times we get caught up in 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 the benefit of being in a like like everybody knows I'm in a relationship with Annette and we're coming together and we're going to get married well we both bring things to the table and and those things are good but you know what i'm far more interested in her than anything she brings to the table you know and she feels the same way about me and and i think so many times in church past we we've been so enamored with with what god brings to the table we lose sight of him yeah you know if i can get caught up in him Okay, I, I'm not an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> the only one. <laughs> but here's something I believe everybody in the room can relate to. Picture driver's ed when you were in school. You get the classroom time, right? And you learn, learn, learn. You watch the films with all the crashes and everything. And you you get all the money. But there comes a time to get in the car. Because you're just not going to know until you get in the car and do it. And, and we've come to this place where we've, we've been tired of just dried religion and we've latched on to this phrase, well, real Christianity is not about, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. But yet we haven't gone on to enjoy the relationship. You know, one thing, you know, the verse came up earlier today about how it, the crop, it grows up. The king, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is if a man plants a seed and he goes to bed night and day. It grows up. He knows not how. First the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. It does. It grows up. And we don't understand that. It just happens. But the verse didn't stop there. He said, and immediately he puts in the sickle for the harvest is ready. There's a relationship with a father that's available to us. What are we doing about it? What are we doing with it? 
You know, the thing about a relationship, I was reading this in a relationship book one time, and there was this one phrase that jumped out at me and it stuck with me all these years and said, 90% of a relationship is a conversation. What's the conversation that we're having with the Father? How are we enjoying the relationship that's been made available to us? He has poured out his spirit to let us know that we have a Father. Now what? Are we going to let the crop die in the field or are we going to take advantage of the relationship? We've been, we, we see things in our lives that don't, that don't, <clears throat> that are not of life. And we've learned, we, we used to judge ourselves that we weren't right with God because there were things in our lives that, that weren't, that were like that. But we've come to learn that that's not true, that he loves us anyway, and that we're okay, even though there are things in our lives that don't pertain unto life. And we are. Something, some form of death manifesting in your life doesn't mean you're not okay with God. But it's not okay that those things are there. And you should be having the conversation. There are things in my life that pertain to death, and I don't like them there. But I'm busy with the conversation. And, and everybody's different. Everybody's in a different place, and it works itself out differently with everybody. That's why Jesus told the disciples, he said, it's better for you if I go away. Why? Because the Spirit's going to come and have this individual relationship with you, and these things get worked out into bed. I remember this one thing. It took me forever to see this thing disappear out of my life. And I'd talk to God, and all he would say to me, the same thing, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Drove me nuts because I was wanting to get to it. And he's like, no, we'll get to it. Because there were other things that were more important to him. The, the thing that was bothering me wasn't bothering him near as much as it was bothering me. <laughs> and he knew there would come a time when we'd get to and there, it. And after a year, we got to it. And when he got to it, boom, the, the deliverance was instant. So we, we, know, we know it's about a relationship. The Spirit has been poured out, pointing to the fact that we have a Father. What are you going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? What does that mean? What does that mean that I have access to the God who created everything? It means a lot. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's a, it's a great example of your friend not knowing herself the way God knows her. And then, you know, it, it talks about the darkness that descended at the cross and encompassed Jesus. It's a great example of her, that darkness coming around her. So she's looking through a glass darkly lit, not knowing herself the way God knows her, feeling alone, feeling an orphan. Like God's not thinking of her as an orphan. He's not thinking of her as someone who's been left alone to tend for her own life or to be her own rock. Or he, he's looking at her and seeing that she that she's a piece of him, right? She, she's a piece of the rock. He's looking at her and seeing that she has someone to care for her. And he's thinking, but she's looking through a glass darkly lit right now, so she can't see that. And so how is he going to pierce through that thick darkness in that moment, right? Because you were there to tell her the whole time. And it never came up because that probably wouldn't have pierced the darkness, right? But this other woman who doesn't know her, to come over and say all that, it pierced the darkness because how could that woman know? 
How could she know? She couldn't. The only way she could know is if God cared, right? And so it starts communicating that the father is taking thought of her, right? And she isn't alone. Greg, it's like, you know, Philip could tell Nathaniel all about Jesus. And Nathaniel still, what good can come out of Nazareth? <laughs> and then Jesus tells him, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And he immediately said, you are the son of God. Because he knew he saw something that only God could have seen and that's you know she could tell her friend all about God but until she heard it from God himself that opened up everything that's right and hopefully she will feel God in that operating room when the time comes holding well, her hand for it and to Matt's point the the prayer for her the prayer I'm going to be praying for her is that she continue to grab on to the revelation of everlasting bondage, right? That she began to ask questions about that. Like, what does it mean that God has this woman who we don't know come over here, right? What's he trying to say to me beyond just this moment, right? What does it mean that God cares about what hurts me to the degree that he's got some woman out on her date night with her husband taking time to come over here and interrupt, right, our, our meeting? What's it? What's it mean that he's taking that kind of thought for me? For me, I mean, it was just it was just a moment. But for me, I, in my heart, I'm saying, Lord, I'm on, Lord. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I'm waiting for that. And I mean, we were talking about God, but not in the context. But that I wanted to, I just wanted to get to what he said. What's hurting her? Because I know, I knew it was deep. And there's no way a woman can go through what she's been going through and not have this flood of emotions and an emotional thing. And it, it, this whole time since it's been going on for two months, you know, all this stuff. And, and she's just not gone emotionally there with me. And I'm like, I'll keep waiting for her to have the moment that she just loses it and, and opens up about how she's sincerely feeling about this. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, while this is right before this happens, come on, Lord, Lord, she can't leave without just, I know she just needs to vomit it out. That was it. He delivered. It. it was really yeah. cool. Well, she really she cool. didn't grow up being able to be vulnerable. No. So she grew up building up building walls around her heart. And it's difficult to experience the tender heart of God when your heart has walls. And so God comes first and starts tearing down the walls, right? Um, and that helps you to be vulnerable. Well, it goes back to what you preached a while back. Most people think. No matter what's going on, you hear the word cancer, life stops. And most people that don't know God think cancer is bigger than God. Mm, yeah. And she needs she needed to hear and know that God's much bigger than what's going on. Mm -hmm. And like we talked about in the Bible study uh, several weeks ago, maybe months ago, that not only is he bigger than the cancer, but, you know, the... The cancer, when you you take the the images, it shows up as a, a spot. Mm -hmm. Really, what that cancer is a sign of possessing a life that is with spot or blemish. Mm -hmm. Reason why it bothers us so much is because we want a spot a life that's without spot and blemish. Right. And that cancer is like a sign to us that we don't possess a sinless life, which is what a sinless life is. It's a life that is without spot or blemish. Well, the world is all the time giving us testimonies that our life has many spots and many blemishes. And that's what the cancer is trying to testify to your friend. 
And she needs to know not only is God greater than the cancer, but that God served her with the life that's without spot or blemish. And she wants to identify with that life in the midst of this, right? With what it means that he's father. And and not identify with the spot and blemish that's showing up in that image. And the, um, and the world wants to bring that up so it can sell you the, the way to get rid of the spot or the blemish. Yeah. And that's why Hebrews would come and say that God perfected you. He sanctified you from a life that has spots and blemishes once for all time by his land. Right? That That's what it, it would be talking about. The intellectual world will, will begin to despise the simplicity of the gospel. Right? Because the intellectual world is looking for uh, stimulation in the brain instead of uh, intimacy with God in in the heart, right? And um, the simpler I get with the gospel, you you run into the certain comments like, uh, well, "When are we going to get to the meat?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it goes back to that right. saying, uh, uh, "Less is more." Yeah, less less is more. Less for like re less religiosity and uh, basically. Uh, Satanic knowledge, satanic <laughs> wow. wisdom wow. is more. So the more you strip Always that away, is. you have less of that and you have more of the truth. Less of that and more of the truth, yeah. And what people mean when they say, when are we going to get to the meat, is they mean, when are we going to get into things like the Nephilim? And uh, when are we going to get into things like demonology and how we can get to the third heaven right. and how we can get there now? And how we can walk on water now, and how we when are we going to get to the all the the details of, of all these these powerful things that we can do, and that's what they mean when they say when are we going to get to the meat, and and you know what it is. I just want to say what it is. It's the same thing as the Israelites despising the bread from heaven, calling it light, manna, and they wanted the strength of the flesh. They despised the manna from heaven. Um, and so all this talk about when are we going to get to the meat? I mean, I, I think people pull that out of a, an ignorant understanding of scriptures, and they get to Hebrews where it talks about you're you're not able to digest meat yet; you're still in need of needing milk, right? And and so then they come with that language of milk and meat. Well, when are we going to get to the meat? And that means when are we going to get to all these lofty explanations that I know are deep down in there? When are you going to come and explain every single picture in Revelation to me, Greg? Because that's the meat. You guys have no, honestly, I don't talk about Revelation because how many people inundate me wanting me to talk about it? And I could say a whole lot about it. We've been meeting for a long time, and we could all come together and say a whole lot about it. But what I realized is they're not in a place where they need to be taught about any of those things right now because they would despise the bread from heaven and want the meat. Well, listen, man, the milk is not the revelation that God is Father. The milk is not the revelation that you're his son or his daughter. The resurrection from the dead, that's not the milk. That's not the milk. The glorification of our bodies, death being removed from our physical bodies, death being conquered in the body of Jesus' death and resurrection, us being served with a sinless life that has no spot or blemish, us having our lives liberated from this earth where the world isn't the father of our life, but God has fathered our life by raising Jesus from the dead and seating us in his house at his right hand. That is the meat. Yep. That's the meat. 
right? Jesus stood up and said, my flesh is meat indeed. So Jesus himself described the meat. And the meat that he described was his body. What body? The body of his death and the body of his resurrection. That in his death, he utterly destroyed our fellowship with death. He divorced our lives from being held in this world. He took back the keys of Hades, meaning he kicked open the gates of death. He kicked open the power of the grave. He destroyed it. And that in the power body of his resurrection, he's given us now the keys to heaven, which is access to the indestructible life that's in the Father. That is the meat. Right? Not some intellectual understanding of the Nephilim, of which I could break it down every which way it could be broken down under the sun. And some of that might be cool, but the only part that would be profitable unto life is the part of that explanation that revealed God as Father. That would be the meat part. The rest of it would you just be impressed by my intellect. Which I promise you... It doesn't matter how impressive you think my intellect is. I promise you, my intellect can't father your life. Right? And so, I say it to ministers and to everybody, the people, the people, people, help the ministers. If, if someone is, is preaching the body of Jesus' death and resurrection, they're preaching everlasting father. That is the meat. And if you're despising that, wanting to get to other explanations about things, man, stop for a moment and realize you're like the Israelites that despised the manna from heaven because Jesus said he was the bread that came down from heaven, not some intellectual understanding of the Nephilim. Right? And the whole point of that context, the whole point of the context in Genesis was God saying that my spirit will not reside with man for much longer. And what was his spirit? The spirit that he's father. And it just finished saying that now began the time where men called upon the name of the Lord. That means now began the time where men saw that God was father. Adam, Seth, Enoch, Noah, all those guys saw God was with them to be their father, to serve them with life. All those guys saw that God's eyes were filled with mercy and grace. And the point was those guys as children started looking at the children of Cain of Cain's line, and started taking for wives from Cain's lineage. Cain's lineage isn't just talking about his physical lineage. It's talking about those that said, I will father my own life. And so the whole context there, I hate to break it to people, it's about knowing God is father. Right? And the Nephilim, if we want to use that word, that word means to be born from the earth, for your life to come forth from the dust. The Nephilim are those that call the world father. They look at the world and the life the world can provide, and they call the world father. They love the world. That's what John's talking about when he says, love not the world. What he's saying is, don't look at the things the world can offer you and think that those things can father an incorruptible life for you. And the Nephilim were born from the earth. They looked at the dust of their bodies, and they said, by my ability to work this dust body, I'm going to father life for myself. I don't need God. Now, do you see how all that's still going back to God as Father and knowing God as Father? And so the Nephilim is not some mixed breed of angels and humans. That's what an intellect void of the knowledge of God will come up with because they're excited about intellectual stimulation and mythology. That's right. Because mythology is very exciting to all of us. Why do you think we watch so many superhero movies? Why do you think we tend to that kind of a thing? Because mythology is very exciting to our intellects. Imagine the possibilities. Imagine how many different messiahs there could be. 
And so the whole point of the Nephilim, that's why they're called mighty men of renown. If you look back, it just listed a bunch of mighty men two chapters before, yep. of which Cain was one, of which Tublacan was another. And so the Nephilim are those that decided they're going to be exalted by working their own strength to produce life. Cain was a mighty man of renown. In fact, it mentions he built the first city. That's the renown. He was a giant in the earth because he used his strength to build himself a habitation. He was a Nephilim. He didn't know God as father. He didn't see God was with him to serve him with the life that he needed. He didn't see that God would provide the lamb. He saw the lamb. God showed it to him, but his heart was hardened to it. And he wanted the, he cried out for flesh. He cried out for what his flesh could feed him with, just like the Israelites did. And so he is a picture of the mighty man of renown. He is a man whose life was born from the dust of this earth and not from above. Even that, you see how the simplicity of it all goes back to knowing God is Father. And what was the problem there in the earth in Noah's day? It wasn't that there was a mixed breed of humans and angels. The problem was is that men were not knowing God as Father. And through that, death was reigning over them, and the suffering that was in the earth was great on account of all these people not knowing God was there to serve them with life. you got a bunch of people all trying to serve themselves with life. You know what ends up happening? They end up stomping on one another. Right? That's when you start coveting your neighbor's wife. Because you look down the street and you think, man, my neighbor has got a nice wife. I, I need a wife. It's only right that I would have a wife. And I think it ought to be his wife. Well, I'm going to go kill that guy now. That's what happens when you're not knowing God as Father. And so do you see what the intellect will do? The whole point of that example in, in Genesis 4, 5, and 6 is about knowing God as Father and what happens in the earth when you don't know God as Father. Yet we've turned it into a whole bunch of alien nonsense talk. We've turned it into a whole bunch of hybrid angels and humans talk. We've turned the whole gospel into a fairy tale and made that fairy tale as if it's the problem for human beings. There's nowhere in the New Testament that talks about God sent Jesus to overcome some hybrid beings of angels and humans. It said he came to conquer death in the flesh. And an Nephilim is someone who loves the darkness and is eating the flesh that has death in it, trying to have life. They're a glutton. They're slothful. Right? Mo, was that I you? was just going to say, you know, right now it's got a lot of people, you know, looking into some of the prophetic books, Book of Revelation, Ezekiel, Daniel, and uh, trying to say, what's, what's happening here? What's coming down? And I'm going to tell you, plenty of these people are actually like storing up food and stuff. And let me tell you, the scripture kind of condemns that, that you should store up your goods for the day of wrath, okay? And uh, so here they are, you know, believing that they are gaining knowledge in regard to their eschatology. And there is such a thing as eschatology. There is the last days that are coming on earth. But when you don't know God as Father, that's the kind of thing it has you doing, storing up goods for the day of wrath. Fathering yep. yourself. And taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And the first people, when, the re when tribulation comes <laughs> on the earth that throw out the book of Revelation are going to be the ones that are doing that. They're going to be, how am I going to save myself here? Instead of 
overcoming any kind of tribulation that might come upon you in this earth by the spirit that God gave to you, that spirit that calls out Abba Father and overcomes all the tribulation in the world because he is now one with you and you know his love for you. And you have that. No matter what the eschatology is, you can overcome in this life, even unto the end. They love not their lives even unto death. The same spirit that sent the woman in the corner of the restaurant mm -hmm. over to your table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Amen. You know, when, uh, when you read things on Facebook that says, God have mercy on America, mm -hmm. right away think they don't know the Father. Yeah. And the same, often, there's nothing new under the sun. They thought the Messiah, Israel, would conquer the Romans and free them and give them life. Mm -hmm. And we're, we still think the same thing, if we don't know the Father. Yeah, we want them to conquer our least favorite politicians. Right. <laughs> and then exactly. we can have life. Right. And the gas prices and inflation. Well, you're not. We, well, and the wars. Well, yes, but the, all those are the problem, fault of all the politicians we don't like. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, yeah, if you don't, you're right. You're absolutely right. If you don't know God as Father, your, your mind will end up being filled with that, right? And you'll be filled with, with things that have nothing to do with the gospel and you'll be uh what did paul say you'll be moved away from the simplicity of christ the singleness that is christ and and everything that's being declared there and so guys the meat you know when when the day of passover when the hebrews were were led out of egypt they ate meat <laughs> and do you know what meat they ate the lamb. Okay. Do you know? So, do you, do you know what the meat is that our Christianese, our Christian cliches have led us to the place where we don't want milk, we want strong meat, we need the meat now? If you're actually wanting the meat, then you're wanting the lamb. Hmm. The, the lamb God provided is the meat, and what it testifies of that God provided himself as the lamb that would remove the death that was reigning over us, that is the meat, yeah. right? Not some lofty understanding about the Nephilim or how that factors in with aliens, not some lofty understanding of all these different uh, biblical events where you think you know. The only, I promise you, the only thing to know out of all these biblical events is what it declares about everlasting power, right? At the end of the day, I mean, we can all agree John saw a bunch of fantastical things, didn't we? Can't we all agree with that? I mean, he saw some fantastical things. If you read through Revelation, well, how does it end? What is he end talking about? What does he decide is the conclusion of all these things? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's it. Right. Because once again, what, what will be manifested in the earth? Everlasting Father. And what will happen? Death will be completely consumed from all of creation. It won't exist. Right? Yep. Anybody else have anything they want to add to, to all of that? Sorry for throwing in that stuff about the Nephilim, but my heart, listen, it's hard enough to find ministers that are willing to, to just preach the gospel. Because it, it doesn't gain you the honor from the world, or even the honor that is in the Christian world now which the Christian world has been infiltrated with the, like a fraternity, sorority type of n mindset, networking, where you receive honor of one another. 
right? There ain't no honor from the Christian uh, network in the world for preaching the gospel. In fact, there's dishonor from them. And it's kind of like what Jesus said to the disciples. They're going to drag you into the synagogues and persecute you and hate you and, and flog you, thinking they're doing it in the name of God. Well, that's what you can expect to find from a large portion of the Christian world that doesn't know God if you get to preach in the real gospel. You're going to find dishonor coming from them towards you. And so it's difficult enough for ministers to find ministers that will just preach the gospel, that have counted the cost and have decided that they're happy to lay down the honor they can have for man for the honor that comes from God. It's difficult enough to find ministers that will do that. I know. I look for them all the time, and I talk to people all the time out in the world that wish they had a church they could go to. It's difficult enough. And so, man, if you're watching online and there's a minister around you that is preaching the gospel, that is the meat. And, man, help that guy out. And if you don't have any money to give that guy, that's fine. But, man, come and hang out with that guy and be with him as he preaches the meat. And realize that you're loathing the bread from heaven if you're desiring something greater than that. Right? Does that make any sense? Do you guys see how the whole Nephilim thing was still talking about father? God is father? Noah building the boat. You know what Noah was trying to declare to everybody when he was building the boat? God is with us to be the father that we need. He sees the torment that's come upon us from the death that's in the world. He sees that our imagination has been filled with laboring and toiling, trying to gather life to ourselves because we've been stung by the fear of death. And what he's going to do is he's going to cleanse the earth from death. And he's going to protect us in this ark. He's going to preserve our lives from the end that's coming to death. You see what Noah's still declaring? Everlasting Father. How many times did Jesus talk about the Nephilim? Not once. Not once. Not once. How many times did Paul talk about it? Even less. <laughs> Based on our, our modern construct of what those things are, yeah. But do you know what Jesus did talk a lot about? The prince of this world. He talked about those who, the generation of the viper, the poison of asps. Paul talked about the old man. The, the man who walked after the flesh. James talked about that a lot. Peter, they all talked about that a lot. Guess what? That's what the Nephilim's about. <laughs> right? We'll do anything to become distracted from the sim singleness that is Christ. Because we get bored and we loathe having the same deal. Right? We do it all the time. No, no, we've been to Phil's. Every Sunday for two months, can we go somewhere else? <laughs> and so, listen, man, the carnal mind, well, we've heard about the Father every Sunday for two months. Can we hear about something else? But Phil's got the meat, man. <laughs> but, but the life that we desire is contained in the Father. We're tired of the man yeah, yeah, that's exactly what, and I, I pray for ministers, because I know the pressure they feel, right? It's hard enough to find ministers that will just preach the gospel, but then the pressure to move off of that becomes even greater, because no one wants to have church by themselves, I promise you. Listen, all the ministers I know that preach this, hey, if it's just them and God, they'll rejoice. But you want to do church with people. And I don't mean church like the world calls church. But you want to come together with people. And you want to know everlasting Father together with people. 
right? You, you want to come together in a body and know everlasting Father together with people because each of you is carrying that treasure from Father. And man, when we come together, it's a powerful thing that we're all ministered to by one another sitting here. Everything that Matt said, everything that Thomas said, everything that Shelley said, everything that Tom said, that Marie said, that Billy said, all ministered everlasting Father to me. Well, if y'all ain't here, then I'm not getting ministered to by you all. And I'm not trying to put some hope yoke on you and tell you that you must minister. But there's a beautiful thing that comes together when a group of believers come together and they purpose to sit and want to know Everlasting Father together. Everlasting Father administered all over the place by one another to one another. And then we all receive nutrients and edification through one another from the gift that come down from God in the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father. Coincidentally, in quotation marks, as we're sitting here, one of my kids, PK, texted me, how much did it cost for me to go to college? And I told him the, the total number, and his question was, why didn't you make me pay for that with student loans? And my, my response, because I'm your father. <laughs> and his response was a heart symbol. That just happened like... Ten seconds ago. Glory to God. <laughs> you know, four years ago, you, you actually have the CD. You said, one day, I have a dream, one day that we would all sit around and communicate and talk and love each other in, in a, not a church setting, but a pews, but at tables. I, I, that dream's come true. I mean, it, I got to know Shelley better. I got to know Matt. I mean, it's just, it, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like I, I mean, you guys don't know them as well as I do. And I feel sad for all of you sometimes because they live so far away that they can't get here all the time. And I go and hang out with these people, but these people are awesome. Right. And it's like, if we don't come together, we don't know each other and we don't hear what the father has revealed to each of us. Right. And through us. Right. And to one another. So thank you guys for coming. Thank you for sharing your hearts. Um, Shelly. I'm sorry I didn't answer the phone. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> would have freaked out. I was flipping all out. No, and sometimes, and, and and I made a post about it about being transparent. But man, sometimes, sometimes I'm just trying to to figure out how to get 36 hours out of 24. That's right. And dealing with the weakness I feel out of not having time to do everything that I want to do. And sometimes I just succumb to that. And I'm like, oh, I can't answer the phone. I can't, you know. And um, thank you for your kindness and patience towards me. Um, guys, hopefully, I don't want to say hopefully. I know that this was beautiful. I know it was full of life. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for joining in. Um, and, uh, man, you'll always get the Father here. That is yeah. the meat. That is the steak. Hallelujah. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for coming. Have a great Sunday. Amen. Amen. Yes.